Broadcasting to Ottawa Senator fans around the world. Around the world. It's the Sins Nation Podcast. Why, it's the Sens Nation Podcast presented by DunrobinDistilleries.com. Where will your spirit take you? Here's where we're going to take you this week. We're going to talk about everything over the last couple of weeks. Victor Mete has a new gig. He's re-signed with the Ottawa Senators. The new schedule is out there. The Winnipeg Jets have declared to everybody, everybody's welcome so long as you're fully vaccinated and have proof of it and wear a mask all night. We'll ask you know what we think about that should the Sens follow suit and that and a whole lot more coming up today on the Sens Nation podcast. I'm pleased to be joined as always, by the way, my name is Steve Warren. I guess big voice does say that, uh, but let's say hello once again to the coach, Greg Kennedy. How are things, Greg? Things are good, Steve. I'm back in Slave Lake, as you know, share with the listeners my uh, five day, 3,700 kilometer drive was completed there back. Uh, I don't, what did I get here? I don't even remember. About a week ago. Yeah. So yeah, it was so good. It went all right. It was fine. Yeah, it was fine. I stopped in Timmins and Thunder Bay and Brandon and uh, Lloyd Minster and here. All the hot spots. Oh, yeah. <laughs> with respect to those towns. <laughs> yeah, sure. I, I, I try to get in about uh, four or five o'clock in the afternoon. I tour the used bookstores, get my Priceline hotel room and my takeout pizza and go to bed early and get up the next day and head out on the road. One of the other things we're going to talk about today is tryouts, because that's another big thing that's happening right now in the minds of hockey fans, uh, not just in Ottawa, but you know, across Canada. This is sort of the week when tryouts really begin in earnest. And uh, you've done a billion evaluations. You're part of Hockey Canada. You've got some things going on this week. You're doing some hockey schools as well, right? Yeah, I got a camp here for, uh, for young players here in Slave Lake. We start uh, Monday morning. Got uh, 27 or 28 kids signed up and we'll go all day, you know, a couple of, uh, couple of hour ice sessions and uh, off ice stuff. And, you know, it's basically a summer camp, right? That's That's got hockey in it. Right. Good stuff. So am I, I was just setting the table there for how many times you've been, you know, out there evaluating and, and seeing mistakes being made, seeing what makes kids successful in their tryouts. So today we thought we would Talk about the do's and don'ts before, during, and after hockey tryouts. And we'll also get into uh, some sad news in the NHL from this past week, particularly for guys of our vintage, Greg, the passing of Tony Esposito. But uh, we should talk a little bit about what's happened since, really, NHL draft day, because uh, I think this is our first show since we last talked about, you know, Dadnov's trade and some of the guys they brought in in the draft. Uh, Are you surprised at all that it's been as quiet as it has that the Sens haven't gone out and done very much. Again, they did sign Victor Mete, but beyond that, nothing in the way of free agent signings and nothing else in the way of signing their own free agents. Well, no, I'm not surprised at all. I mean, let's face it, the the Ottawa Senators are not exactly big players in the free agent game. Um, They usually sort of pick and choose guys that fill certain roles for them. So really a quiet free agency day as as you wrote in faces when you when you start off free agent frenzy in the morning announcing that your coach is signed that's kind of an indicator that maybe there won't be any big news coming down the road the rest of the day and really after after the trade for Holden and the signing of Delzato 
I'm, I'm sure Pierre, Pierre and Pierre, like, what, what are we calling them? Pierre two, Pierre squared. I'm, sh- I'm sure they're, they're working hard trying to, trying to find, possibly trying to find somebody to play on the right side. But other than that, um, negotiations are probably ongoing with Batherson and Kachuk. But other than that, there's, there's probably not a heck of a lot they need to be doing anyway. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the bigger story. I didn't expect them to be too active in free agency uh, for the reason you mentioned there. And uh, I, I, I guess I would have thought, you know, here it is middle of August. I would have thought we'd start to see a little bit um, of discussion, a little more buzz out there. Uh, is this going to go right down to the wire, though, is the question. Is it going to be a week before tra- training camp opens and this thing still may, may not be done? Like, what what is the timeline, if not now? It's going to happen sometime. But uh, everybody's just sitting here, you know, looking at their watch and tapping their foot and going, WTF, when is this thing going to get done? Well, there are there are pressure points, right? And certain pressure points throughout the course of a season uh, when it comes to draft, uh, sorry, signing or trading players. There's a pressure point usually around American Thanksgiving. There's a pressure point around the All-Star break. There's a pressure point at the trade deadline. I think that part of the problem here is that there really is no pressure point in the summer. Once you get past draft day, um, which is you know usually a trading type day as well as uh, as drafting. So you've gotten past that pressure point. So the next pressure point is the opening of training camp. So yeah, I could see nothing happening between now and then. But lately, I, I could based on recent history, I could see them suddenly coming out with an announcement tomorrow because they've been very good lately at keeping things under wraps. So where do you think they're at right now? Just. I mean, if you're to read the tea leaves, whatever, however you want to put it, are they close? Are they not that close? Or are they a million miles away? Like where are, knowing what Kachuk is likely thinking, knowing what the organization is likely thinking, where do you think we're at? Well, the organization is likely thinking, let's sign him for eight years. The uh, uh, Oster and the Kachuk camp are likely thinking, how about three years? So depending on who's the first person who's going to move off of their number, that's that's where they're at. So, so who's going to blink first? Who's going to say, yeah, okay, we'll see it your way? Um, I, I got to see Kachuk and Oster sitting there saying, nope, three years, three years, three years, and probably never coming off that number unless their socks and the doors are blowing off. So I, I would think that that's the, that's probably the sticking point right now. I mean, that the first bone of contention is how long a deal are we looking at before you even get to numbers, uh, dollar numbers. That is, I would think the first bone of contention here is how many years. And if I'm Kachuk, I'm starting at three and probably not moving. Yeah. That's the thing. I think eight, eight is on the table for both sides. I just think if, if they go to eight, what the Kachuk camp would be looking for as far as an annual salary uh, to give up that potential of uh, the UFA auction in just four years from now, that number has got to be very big. What, 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 what number do you think that is? Like what salary would the Kachuk camp demand if they were to be offered an eight-year contract and want to sign it? Well, it would have to be minimum, I would think, minimum $8 million for the first year two three years and it's going to have to go up right you want to keep this guy around if he progresses the way he's going to progress and look at it this way if he doesn't sign now for eight years he only signs for three what kind of money is he going to get in four years he's going to bet on himself obviously but if he progresses as he believes he will then four years from now he's looking at nine or ten million so if you're going to come in with eight times eight that's not going to work um i 
could you get him to take six and a half, seven, eight, and climb from there? No. I really believe you're starting at eight and it's probably finishing at over nine and close to 10 by the seventh or eighth year, I, I would think anyway. But then again, what the hell do we know, Steve? We're just pundits with a microphone. Yeah, I think I think if I'm I always look at things from I'm at that age now where I'm old enough to be every NHL player's dad. <laughs> and I think to myself, if I'm the kid's dad, I'm saying, OK, you're doing three years and uh, we'll talk, uh, you know, get a reasonable amount of money. But if, if it is an eight year deal, I want 10 across the board, 10 million. I want you to get 10 million right across the board because you are sacrificing. You are now in a sacrificial mode once you say, yes, I'll sign an eight year contract. I will commit to you but I'm giving up the levels of improvement I'm going to have just by getting older and older and older. Like when this kid is a a UFA four years from now, uh, he is going to be 25 years old and thus he is going to be a better hockey player just by being more mature physically, mentally. He's going to be a lot better player than he is right now. And this just in, he's a hell of a player right now. So if I'm the dad, $10 million is my number on day one. And, uh, you know, I might even go up in the last couple of years just to, wow. just to really stick it to the. No, I'd go, t- I'd go ten across the board. So I think that's fair. Okay, so you're saying uh, not even eighty million total would work for you. Correct. Wow. No, no, no. I mean, no. If it's ten across the board, that is eighty million. No, no. Well, what if it's eighty million total, but it starts next year at six? You want to okay. start? You you want eight? million every year for eight years sorry 10 million every year for eight years or are you happy with 80 million over 10 years we can climb to over 10 if we can start below 10 now yeah no that's fair too i mean why would you uh i mean as long as that eight years is taken care of at the number i'm looking for which is um is going to be the most on the team it, it uh it slaughters what thomas shabbat's got at eight by eight so yeah i, I guess i yeah. would take that yeah, so and, I think and, we're on the same page then. Yeah, and 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 we've talked about this before about the whole the whole hometown discount idea, and and I've postulated that I I believe that it's a reverse hometown discount, whereas Kachuk is really in the driver's seat because he's in a market where he could conceivably demand to be overpaid because he's almost got them over a barrel where they they need to keep him they need to sign him. So it's almost like he's going to, they, they could come back and say, look, here's our comparables around the league, and we don't think you're worth $8 million right away. And he's going to say, okay, but all the other stuff makes me worth more than Joe Blow, who's making eight over there. You know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I think it's interesting. I don't think Kachuk was necessarily something we had planned to talk about. We discussed topics going into this <laughs> thing. True. But it's it's like all, all Senator conversation leads to one road and that is a discussion about Brady Kachuk and when the hell is he going to sign because uh that's really I mean every conversation I've had about the Sens has led to Kachuk uh, on the golf course at a bar people ask me about the Sens all the time and inevitably first question what about Kachuk when's number seven going to get signed and so um yeah I mean we didn't plan to talk about it, but this is the biggest story going with the Sens right now. There are others, though. There are others. Oh, did you want to add one well, more I thing? I just wanted to say, okay, does Batherson need to get done first? Well, I, if I'm Batherson's camp, I'm I'm going to wait for the Kachuk deal to bring up the bar. That that guy's not Brady Kachuk, but he also only finished one point back of Brady Kachuk in scoring this past exactly. season. So he's going to be two, three million below Kachuk minimum, but... 
he's going to, whatever the gap is between Kachuk and, and Batherson, he is tethered to Kachuk. So if Kachuk goes way up here, you've got Batherson moving up with him as well. So if I'm Batherson, yeah. I'm waiting, see what Kachuk gets. And the other factor is what they pay Colin White. Like you can't come in at, to Batherson and say, we're going to pay you $4 million. <laughs> when when he can look around and say, wait a minute, this guy here who's barely eking into the third line is making 4.75. So they, they kind of, that's a bit of a, what is it, a millstone around my neck? Is that the expression? That's a tough one to deal with is what you paid Colin White when you're trying to negotiate with uh, Drake Batherson. Could have gone Albatross probably. Yeah. An Monkey Albatross. on the back. Yeah, something like that. It's too bad because if you're a general manager, obviously we all know mistakes are going to be made. Uh, in a perfect world, you'd be able to say, yeah, I know that Colin White makes that, but you know what? I effed up. Yeah, exactly. So uh, it doesn't, just because I made a mistake here doesn't mean that I have to give you more than a, a player who's clearly inferior to you. I made a mistake in terms of what I believe that guy was. And financially, I gave him too much money. That doesn't mean you get six, six and a half million dollars just because Colin White was inappropriately paid by me. <laughs> yeah, but Drake Batherson's camp still going to say, so what? <laughs> no doubt. No yeah. doubt. Yeah, no, the, the, any kind of leverage when you get down to it. Before we move too far along, because we should talk about the Victor Mete deal, because that is part of uh, what the Sens did this summer. Hasn't been a lot since the draft, but it is something. And uh, it is, let's see here. It's a one-year contract with the Sens, and it's not worth much. I think it's 1.2, I want to say. I'm just going off memory. It's in that ballpark anyway. What did you think of Mete getting that one-year deal? Um, well, you knew it was coming. Um, I, my question is, I think, or well, not even really a question. Here's my statement. I think that pretty much locks down where where Brandstrom's playing this year. I figure yeah, that unless pretty they much make a locks move. him in. Yeah, I, unless they make a trade of some sorts. I would think Branstrom's going to be in uh, Belleville. Yeah, he's on. Uh, he still can clear waivers, or doesn't have to go through waivers, I should say. Still on a two-way contract, so it does seem that way, unless they move on from a Josh Brown or a Nick Holden or something like that. I have a hard time thinking that Branstrom, and this will be what his fourth year in the as a, since uh, being drafted, uh, and yeah. he's uh, he he earned that mantle from. Pierre Dorian of being, you know, it's the greatest day of my life that I got this kid when they traded for him in the Mark Stone deal. Um, every opportunity to succeed has been there and will, I think, in, the, in this camp still be there. If he shows up and uh, and really looks like he's taking a step forward in his training in the offseason, I think there's still going to be an opportunity for him to make this team. But, yeah, contractually right now, I mean, they have seven guys. Yeah, right who's now. he making it over? Yeah, so they got to move somebody out, or, or or try and send some of these you know older guys down to the minors or something. But uh, yeah, uh, right now I think Victor Mete is a better hockey player than Eric Brandstrom is, and and not a dramatically different looking kind of player. Small, um, not exactly the most blazing fast players, which has always been a thing in the back of my mind, and maybe something we'll talk about shortly in tryout discussion. It's tough to be if you're being evaluated. It's tough to be small and not that fast small is yeah. cool if you're blazing fast but if you're small and not that fast or even on the slow side that's a bad combo i think and so yeah i'm i don't know if branstrom's on the nhl squad this year or not but certainly contractually things are looking like they're against him right now 
And the other way to look at it is where is Branstrom better suited to play right. <laughs> where he's going to play. Like if he's, if he's in Ottawa, he's behind Shabbat and Delzato for sure on the left side, or at least to start the season, Delzato is probably on your second pair. So who would you rather have lounging around in that third pairing left side, Holden and Mete, or would you want Branstrom in there? I, I, he's, he's, it just makes sense for him to be the one to go to to uh, to Belleville for all the reasons you've already outlined. Any surprise that Mete filed for salary arbitration and didn't just uh, take the first offer the Sens threw at him? Well, that's that's just a negotiating ploy, right? They, they they maybe they weren't even really talking all that much. So as soon as he files, it's uh, all right. Let's get down to business here. Let's get serious. Right. So they you know kind of spurs the senators to to move into action and get something going. Yeah, you're probably right. Uh, and, and it didn't go to arbitration. They avoided it. Exactly. And, and so, yeah. And I and I like that he signed. Cause, I mean, it's I mean it's almost minimum wage. It's basically a one-year, $1.2 million contract. So clearly Mete didn't grind anybody. Um, <laughs> and, and I think that for him and his agent, it's just such a smart thing. I think about, I compare it a little bit to the Anthony Duclair thing. You know, a little bit of success. The organization likes you. And Duclair went after something big right away without kind of a more of a longer sustained run of excellence with the squad. He wanted the money right away. And it's turning out in Florida, he's a decent player still, don't get me wrong, but there's a price for opportunity. And Mete maybe leaves a little money on the table that he could have grinded either here or somewhere else. But I think there's a good fit here. I think the Sens like him. He played well. And I think that after being placed on waivers and, by the Habs and claimed by the Sens, I think the guy realizes, okay, NHL oblivion is very close. So Mm -hmm. the price of opportunity here is this, and I'm going to pay that and establish myself, hopefully, with the Ottawa Senators. So I thought it was smart that he didn't grind. Yeah, and and with Brandstrom, the Senators have eight defensemen, Apparently, supposedly, we can argue the quality they're in, but that's eight defensemen. There will be injuries, um, and there's a trade deadline <laughs> again at the end yeah. of the season. So they have pieces in play here that they can use, assuming uh, Jacob Bernard Docker is going to be up by the end of the year. Maybe you get Sanderson to leave school and come up by the end of the year. There will be some shuffling amongst those eight guys that they're going to start training camp with that are sort of penciled in as the top eight. There's also... Um, you sing, we sing, we all sing for ice cream there. What's that guy's name? You know, the, oh, the other um, defenseman, Ollie, yeah. Ollie Allsinger. <laughs> yeah, also, that's it. He, I mean, he's in the game here too, right? So um, there, there, are, there are players there. And really, here we are. We're discussing the bottom pair defense, Steve. <laughs> like, really? Yeah. I'm actually, I'm feeling a little disappointed that Jake Sanderson's not here now. Ah. He looks so good at the World Juniors and almost everybody who's seen him is saying, that guy's NHL ready right now. There's a little part of me that's wondering, what would it look like if Jake Sanderson were here now? Is he in the right place? Sitting in North Dakota for another year? Would you like to see him here? I'd love to see him here, uh, but can he play at the level? Yes, he dominated the summer camp too at the U18s, right? Yes. Um, like, can he, can he play here on a regular basis all year long, practice every day, game 82 games, like, it's okay. Let's let's nurture some things and and go to UND and and have a good season there and and then make a choice about it at the end of that season. Like he may not even come out then. Maybe he waits another year. I highly doubt it. 
but depending on what kind of season he has, uh, injuries factor in. Uh, you know, maybe maybe he doesn't play well. He's he's got the the bird in hand right there. Is that I can go there and play and play all year and be a stud. Oh, there's nothing nothing wrong with that whatsoever. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna do the dad thing again, Jake Sander. You're Jake Sanderson's dad, <laughs> Jeff. There you go. Oh yeah, of course, right. The, the, the longtime Hartford Whaler, and so yeah, and then that's a nice thing, and that he has been on the road that his kids on now, and so some good decisions are being made. There's my point. Experience counts for something, but in a you know ideally, this is a season where the Ottawa Senators at best might squeeze into the playoffs. And that's me being super optimistic. I'm one of the few people that think they'll make the playoffs this year. Most people think that they'll take a little step forward, but probably not a, a playoff year. And there's not a, you know, there's not a target on their back yet. There are more expectations. Other teams will play them a little harder, but again, still expectations are quite low. Do you want a, a prospect like a Sanderson playing their first season in the league on a team with zero expectations or that team next year where I think everybody will think they're going to make the playoffs and there will be expectations and quite a bit more pressure in your first year. I, I would want to wait till next year. Like okay. it just makes perfect sense. And from a Senator standpoint, it makes sense too. They don't need him here. They don't need to be putting the outside and internal pressure on him to be here and be playing and live up to expectations. Let him go and develop. You've signed, obviously that's the way they feel about it. They're fine with it. They went out and got extra defensemen to give them seven that they think can play. So they're okay with it. And we'll see where we're at come March and April, right? Or even February, I guess, is when he could come out at the earliest. But you've got JBD laying around too, who can, who will probably start the year in Belleville as well. And, and he's going to come up and down and up and down when he gets his chances. And the idea is that he's in the lineup by the end of the year. And where's Lassie Thompson and all this? You know, you've got, there's, there's other guys out there that are not necessarily ahead of Sanderson on the depth chart skill wise, but ahead of Sanderson on the maturity experience side. And that's pretty important stuff. I did hear some conversation with people who had seen Lassie Thompson play during the whole COVID process uh, at Sensplex. And there was quite a bit of buzz about how much he has improved uh, we'll see in Belleville this year. I don't think there's any chance he'll be in Ottawa this year. Uh, you'd think a guy with his pedigree, a first-rounder from not last year, but uh, two years ago, I guess now. Oh, boy, time is flying. Um, <laughs> for a guy with that pedigree, I think he takes a big step forward. Um, I think they'll know if they did the right thing taking him in the first round or not, but uh, we shall see. But he's another guy that, uh, for the same reason, Brandstrom and Jacob Bernard Docker are likely to start in Belleville. They have contractually a situation that makes it easy to send them down. They don't have to clear waivers, and they are on two-way contracts. So it's a team that uh, probably has too many defensemen at this stage of the game and still some placeholders in the mix as well. Let's uh, change gears and talk a little bit about the NHL schedule. It is out. We know that the... Divisions have realigned back to what they were. Uh, the more traditional ones, the Sens back in the Atlantic with their usual suspects as opponents. And um, as you looked at the schedule, are you happy it's back to the old way of doing things where you're not going to play the same six teams the entire freaking year? Oh, yes, very much so. 
uh, looking forward to seeing uh, seeing some other teams and seeing a full schedule. I mean, we we both wish that it was more uh, division oriented, but not like last year. No, it's too <laughs> um, much. Too yeah, much. Yeah, I'm I'm fine with this. Um, looking forward to it. Actually, I've I was I was quite pleased to see that the game in Edmonton is on a Monday night in January. So I'll have no problem going to that one. I won't have a game myself that night. Perfect. I've already I've already got it lined up. I'll be in the alumni box, Steve. I'll send you reports. Sounds good. Sounds yeah. very good. <laughs> and we don't have any more of those three and four in a rows anymore. I was a little surprised, though, because I did think that the NHL, I had heard some rumblings that they were actually happy with these two in a row, three in a row, and even sometimes four in a row where, you know, you get the, you amp up all the emotions that they might try and do more of that. I haven't looked at all the other NHL team schedules, but I did look at the Sens in that regard. They have only two back-to-backs. Don't even start talking about three in a row or four in a row like they had in the North Division this past year. They only have two times all year where they play a team two games in a row. That's opening night and game number two against the Leafs, and then not again until April when they take on Detroit for two. So any of that discussion about trying to build emotion and animosity and you know these home-and-home series or whatever, eh, they may have talked about it, but it certainly didn't fall into place in practice when they put this schedule together. Yeah, it's like the that's closer to the way it was before, right? Although I, I like to think there were usually two or three times, where, especially with the Leafs or with the Habs, where they would play them back-to-back. So only two seems like less than normal to me. Oh, it is. But, yeah, uh, I think it is. Yeah. Yeah, but um, and it's all we don't we always open with Leafs back to back. But anyway, uh, it it yeah, I, I I remember those conversations too, where the NHL talked about it. And saving on travel was one of the bigger things. The factor in that was to go to a city and play them three times and come home was it was a travel thing. But obviously, the GMs didn't like it. Uh, you know, they they make decisions on things like this. So I guess in the end, it wasn't something they wanted to do. Are you enjoying this solar eclipse I'm dealing with on the camera here? <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. I'm like, slowly moving out of the screen as the sun from my skylight is just absolutely burning a hole in my I'm, forehead. I keep sliding out of the screen. I'm in the shade in the batter's box and you're in the sun on the pitcher's mound. It's really starting to screw me up, Steve. Yeah. Used to drive me crazy watching Dallas Cowboys games in their old <laughs> building where the, the sunlight from the roof got coming through and the big shade, half the field was by the 50-yard line. It was just blazing sunshine and then darkness on the other it was you gotta uh, you gotta get your bob mccowan's on yeah that's a great idea yeah see i don't think i have some uh, prescription <laughs> ones too some pre- prescription <laughs> reading glasses around there or uh, sunglasses around um okay so yeah that's the schedule situation and the the leafs yeah you said sends against the Leafs for two and maybe austin matthews is there he's got a wrist is that a wrist sur- surgery isn't that weird to have wrist surgery on August 13th. Like, where you been? That's exactly what, when I read it there yesterday, I think it came out yesterday. I read it yesterday and I, I was sitting here with, uh, with Mac and, and we both said the same thing. Like what, the, why wouldn't you have had that like two months ago, especially with the Leafs who were done so early. Right. And he had this injury all year long. Like what were you waiting for? Yeah, I wonder if it wasn't some summertime hijinks. It's not like Austin Matthews <laughs> isn't above that. Maybe there was a pants on the ground incident once again. I don't know. But oh, uh, yeah. anyway. The one thing uh, that caught me from the schedule, sorry to interrupt there. Nope. Um, the, the, the Senators play 15 games in April, and you, of course, have them making the playoffs. Um, of those 15 games in April, nine of them are against teams that didn't make the playoffs last year. 
There's uh, three with Detroit, two with New Jersey, and singles with the Rangers, the Blue Jackets, Buffalo, and Philly. Now, okay, maybe some of those teams will be playoff teams, but you've also got a couple games in there against the Habs. So there's 15, nine of 15 games, throw in the two games against the Habs. That's pretty important stuff. That's that's 11 of 15 games that are definitely, well, I don't want to say winnable, but should be competitive. And uh, you've got them making the playoffs. So that's going to be an interesting April. Yeah, I'm counting on, obviously not counting on anybody new because they're not bringing in anyone new. What I'm counting on is they have a lot of good young talent that will feel just a little yeah. more comfortable, just a little more mature out there. Because that, that's that's one of the biggest things. You see it all the time. What's the, you know, when you're young or when you, whether you're just up for the minors, whatever it is, it's just believing in yourself, believing that you're part of the NHL mix, not just not just part of it either, like that you can thrive there. And when you get that through your head, that's when the talent really starts to shine. Yeah, and 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 as we just finished discussing here, those additions you should have a you could have a Gennar, a, a JBD and a, and a Sanderson in the lineup for those games in April. So if they can develop, if they can get through the first half of the season and 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 really try to turn it on the second half, continue to get better and better. If they finish anywhere like they finished last year. They've got a much easier schedule to do it with this year in April. At least it looks that way now. It could be a really exciting April with with the lineup sprinkled with closer to what will be the unparalleled success lineup than we've ever seen. I'm really looking forward to Sens games without this automated noise in the background. Oh. Actual fans in the stands, whether I'm there or not. I mean, watching the games on TV, you just there's no replacement for the natural ebbs and flow of ambient sound in an NHL rink. And it'll be great probably to, I mean, I don't know if they're going to do a packed house or not. The Winnipeg jets are, um, they have, however, come up with a, a game plan that I think some fans in Winnipeg are probably a little bothered by the jets fans are going to be required to have vaccination proof, like full vaccination and they'd have to wear masks for the entire game. But they will be basically selling the place out if they can, which I think is about 15000 and change. And the question I have is, will the Sens follow suit? And if they do, will it upset some of the fans? What do you think? Oh, it'll definitely upset some people. You can bet on that. Uh, I personally don't have a problem with it at all. Do you want to go sit in a stadium with a, with a bunch of people who couldn't be bothered with getting vaccinated? No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm fully vaccinated and, uh, I'd like to think I'll get a card or something that I can hold in my wallet that I'm not going to be walking around with an eight by 11 piece of paper all the time to show people it'll get all mucked up. I'll put it in the wash. Eventually it'll get all shredded. That happens. I was glad when they went to the plastic money, by the way, I lost, I've lost probably about a thousand (laughs) dollars in my life in the washing machine prior to the plastic money. But, uh, yeah, I have no issue with it at all. Um, and the masks, um, I barely even know I'm wearing one. I, I some I, I forget to put them on when I'm going into stores, even at this late stage in the COVID process. Uh, but at the same time, I sometimes forget I'm wearing one, and so I forget to walk, take it off. Yeah, I'll, I'll get out of the store and I'll get behind the wheel of the car, and I'm driving down the Queensway in about ten minutes, and I'm going, oh, I got this thing on. I'll take that off now. But some people just feel like it's a great violation of their 
civil rights. And uh, I, I, I'm, I just don't, I respect everybody's opinion. I try to anyway, but uh, I'm not seeing it. That's all. I'm back in Alberta, Steve. We don't wear masks out here. Really? Like if you go yeah. to that, like the Edmonton Elks took on the Red Blacks last week, were there any evac- Were there any masks I, no, I in that game? I, I, not that I'm aware of. I mm-hmm. know that I can go anywhere in Alberta. I don't have to wear a mask. It was weird. I crossed the border into Manitoba and stopped for gas and got out of the car. Like nobody's wearing a mask. I go in the store, nobody's wearing a mask. And same thing as I worked my way across into Saskatchewan and into Alberta. It's kind of strange. You know, there's a little bit of me that's like, really, should we be doing this? Especially with the the Delta variant out there. But yeah, it seems to be the the, the land of the, the law of the land out here now. And of course the the oilers and um flames have both been told it's full houses, you're back to businesses nor as usual with zero restrictions. So there's two teams that will be full houses. Um Montreal expects to be by 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 opening night vancouver's tough because there's there's numbers problems in bc and as you just said winnipeg um full it's i looked it up it's sixteen thousand three hundred and something um they're allowed full capacity but as you said with masks so or sorry yeah fully vaccinated and with masks it's ontario that we're waiting on as it stands right now it's like i think the number's 1500 this a stage three uh, law or rules or whatever say you're allowed fifteen hundred, but what what are the red blacks at right now? Um, I think they're fifteen thousand. Yeah, and and it's a mask, but vaccination doesn't matter. So it'll be really, uh, I mean, everybody's waiting between the obviously the Argos, the Red Blacks, the Thai Cats. They've already started, and yeah, you're right, they're at fifteen thousand or whatever that number is. But what and that's outdoor. Right. So is it different rules? What's the scoop going to be? I should include the Blue Jays in that. They're at 15,002. But what are the rules going to be indoors for the Raptors, the the Leafs, the Senators, all the OHL teams, Steve? 17 or 18 of the 20 teams in the OHL are all in Ontario. And that's a gate-driven re- league if there ever was one. Right. So what's what's going to be coming down? Who knows at this point? We're all waiting on, uh, on Mr. Ford. I'm just sitting back as – a resident of this province of this nation and just I'm deferring completely to doctors because I don't know anything when it comes to medicine and vaccinations and the science behind it. And most of the people who are pushing back on this don't either. And the reality is all of us just take these massive leaps of faith every single day with all kinds of things, right? The brakes on your car, you know, I, I go out there and I hope that, you know, the, the car company that made my car, you know, did a good job, put the brakes together and did it well. And then I go out and I drive 2000 pounds of steel and metal with my family in it down the highway. You know, I could take the attitude of, well, you know, I don't really, I don't know if they uh, put a quality vehicle together or not for me. And you could do that a million times. Like you take a bite of chicken, the government and, and agriculture Canada, they regulate the food that you know, you know, chicken can you know, be poisonous and stuff if it's not taken care of right. But you gladly jam your face into a KFC burger or something like that. Well, baby. Yeah, that's pretty good. It's actually pretty tasty. <laughs> anyway, you do that and you're making, again, you're you're taking a leap of faith that the agriculture and people and the, and the testers have done their jobs, you know, across the board. Uh, I don't. I don't know why there's this pushback. Are you an expert in the field? Tell me about your background when you're second guessing these vaccines, even though you're going to go ahead and take a hundred other leaps of faith 
later yeah. on today after you've told me all about your vaccine theories. I saw a guy, and I'm getting off topic. I'm going yes, down Yes, you are, hole. Steve. This is a good rant. Keep going. But, but there was a guy this week. I, I wish I could credit him. He was on TikTok and it and made its way all across all social media, but he was livid. So he's pro-vaccine and he was just, he just got home from the hospital and he looked like he was about 40 and he was furious. He's on camera and he's furious. Just got back from the hospital. His wife has cancer. She has breast cancer and she was scheduled to be in there for three or four days to get like some, you know, awful sounding therapy done. And after two days, she was discharged, right? And the reason she was discharged early and didn't get a chance to have these various therapies done uh, in their entirety was because the place was filling up with people who weren't oh, vaccinated, God. who were coming down with serious cases of COVID-19. And his, his statement was, because he's livid that his wife didn't get the treatment she needed, his statement was, and I was blown away, it's like, God, how many people have talked about COVID over the last year and a half? And, and has anybody summed it up better than this? Okay, so you don't trust the doctors and their advice when it comes to vaccines. But when you get this thing, when you get COVID, yeah, why you are you going to the hospital where the doctors are? Why are you going to the doctors now? He's like, stick to your guns. If you get COVID and you're unvaccinated and you don't believe in the medical science, what are you doing in the hospital? Anyway, I'm way down the rabbit hole now. <laughs> Fair point. And then the numbers are out, right? It's like less than less than one percent of people who now get COVID are double vaccinated. Right. Right. Yeah. Like, the, what more kind of proof do you need than that? I guess let's get back to Sens Nation hockey. Okay. Here. I think we're on an entirely <laughs> different podcast now. So back to back to some hockey talk. And yeah, I think it will. Uh, to answer the question I put out there many days ago, uh, by the sound of it, uh, I think it will upset some fans. But I think most of the fan base and maybe they do what the jets did. The jets actually pulled their season ticket holders and most of them wanted it to be this way. So they made it that way. And we'll see if so what's going to happen. What, what, what kind of numbers are we going to get? And when are we going to get an announcement? Um, I don't know what the timelines yeah. are. Uh, I know Ian Mendez reached out to the Sens this week and uh, has yet to hear back from them. And it's gotta be soon. I mean, they gotta be in the midst of, selling right they got to sell suites they got to sell tickets yeah. and it's something they haven't done in a couple of years now and so they they got to be on this thing and that's the first question you're going to get you know when you, you okay know, you want me to spend whatever it is 10 20 grand on a suite okay let's talk about it uh, are my clients going to have to wear masks are they going to have to be carrying around a little card that says they're vaccinated like give me the details i'm not saying everybody's going to say you know push back on it or anything like that but uh, people are going to want to know. So they, they're going to have to make a decision soon as the Jets did this week. Exactly. So, but it's a provincial decision, right? We're waiting, we're waiting on Ontario health and, and uh, the premier and the government of Ontario. So yeah. people shouldn't be upset with the senators right now. It's not their fault. We're, we're all in the same boat here waiting for, for waiting for the rules and how we're going to move to stage four and what will be involved in stage four. Let us change gears and get back to some hardcore hockey. And I think we all have pretty high emotions when it comes to hockey tryouts. And I played some summer hockey this summer pickup, and we got like four sessions in, and it shut down this week. And the reason it shuts down this time of year is because the kids take over all rinks pretty much because <laughs> uh, there's so many evaluations going on. And um, so it is hockey tryout time. 
and whether you're someone who's an adult now and lived through the hockey tryouts back in the day, or whether you have a child who's in hockey tryouts, like I say, everybody's got some thoughts on it, whether they're fair, um, whether they're done properly and uh, the do's and don'ts of it all, what you should do before, during and after tryouts. Um, the, it really is an emotional time of year, isn't it? Like people are so into this thing, like maybe more than they are into say their, ch- I would say in a lot of cases, they're into hockey and the fate of their child in these evaluations considerably more than they are in the success they're having academically. <laughs> Some people, maybe, yes. I don't, for the majority of kids playing at uh, rec level, I'm sure they just show up and go through their paces of those uh, sort out type games and get assigned a, a letter grade, A, B, C, House League, whatever. But Oh, I'm talking tryouts, not sort outs. <laughs> okay. <laughs> tryouts for sure can be very stressful. And, and, you can do some things to prepare yourself and prepare your child for them properly. Like, first of all, like, don't be afraid to check his equipment or her equipment. Make sure they got everything they need and it all fits and and they look right. Um, you know, a lot of times kids play AAA hockey or AA or whatever it is at a competitive level and don't even have a an extra sweater in their bag or a pair of socks. But it's not team issue when they show up at tryouts and, oh, my God, I don't even have this or don't even have that. So, Make sure you've got all the equipment that's needed. Get the skate sharpened. If there's a way you can get your kid on the ice somewhere and get a little bit of the rust off, yeah. that would be great. But um, Can I just jump in on the equipment thing? Yeah. And that, and that I think that's underrated because people will be saying, well, you know, they're, they're, they're going to measure things on skill. And I got to say, yeah. as, and, and, they, and, they general, and they generally do, any evaluation team does. But there are, you get a preconceived notion going about a young player if they're out there wearing the equivalent of hot pants, if their hockey pants have been, they've outgrown them so far that they're really short and you can see their, their thigh is all showing and stuff. It, look like a hockey player is my point. You know, go out there and make sure, like you said off the top, make sure everything is fitting right. If you have these tiny little shin pads, suddenly your legs look small and maybe people are going, gee, I don't know if he has the size to play at this level or whatever. <laughs> Just make sure your gear all fits properly. Sad but true, Steve. Yes, we do tend to notice things like that, especially shin pads that are too small and pants that are too small or, yeah. and even gloves that are too small. And yeah, we notice that stuff. And uh, it, it maybe doesn't factor into the early decisions, but sometimes it can factor into some later decisions with a, with a tiebreaker or something. Yeah. Do we want this guy who looks like he just you know, stepped off the ice from his novice season four years ago and, and <laughs> walked in here, you know? Yeah, you're absolutely right. It does factor into it. What other things do people need to think about as they're, uh, they're going into the tryouts um, to put their best foot forward? Um, one of the things that I've always thought is, you know, right away, as soon as you step on the ice, get going, you know? You think that it's just it's just warm up. The coaches aren't even out there yet. You're on the ice now. The evaluation team is now up in the stands and they're looking down. Don't go out there and just mosey around and chat with your friends. You know what? There's an opportunity. Every moment's an opportunity. Get out there and fly around while others are lollygagging. You can blow past them and and create an, at least an illusion that you're fast. <laughs> <laughs> and right off the bat, we go, "Wow, hey, who's that kid?" Hey, look at that. Um, yeah, I, I think it's important that uh, that uh, players realize that they're evaluated on on everything. Now, I can't necessarily evaluate character uh, without actually speaking to you during tryouts, but right. you can do things that display your character sure. and your work ethic 
uh, in a tryout session, whether it's drills or whether it's an inner squad game. How do you act on the bench? What are your what's your body language like on the ice? What happens if some guy makes a pass and you know it's five feet in front of you? Are you the guy that's going to roll your head and throw your stick up in the air and then curse at the guy, or are you the one that's just going to turn on the jets and skate a little harder to catch up to that pass? So all of that stuff does factor in and in a sense uh, it's almost more important because it it can only be one thing that only takes two seconds but that's a that's the only thing I've had all five six hours of watching you that relates to character that's the only thing you did that's not good whereas you've got opportunities with or without the puck on the ice with your skills to show good and bad and to make up for mistakes but it's difficult to come back from an X in the character file if it's there early in the process. Certainly during the scrimmages, which generally happen, you know, maybe after, I mean, everybody does it differently, so I won't speak to that, but scrimmages. Oh, I'd love to. Well, well, okay. So what's your timelines then? So if you, if you have four sessions, let's say, games. I, so all four are all four are games, all four sessions. Games. games. Yep. If I'm in a competitive scenario, right? Like obviously it's different in sort outs. In sort outs, we need to have games to try to figure out what games to put you in. But if if I'm a AAA team or any kind of a competitive hockey program, we're going straight to inner squads right away. If you can play, you can stay. Uh, If you can't play, I'm going to ask you to go away. It's, right. it's that simple, right? I I need to see whether you can play or not. You've you've done evaluations for years yourself too, and I'm I'm sure you you curse and swear when you're helping somebody, and he hands you a sheet with 25 names on it and 15 different categories, and he needs a grade from one to ten on each right. of the forward skating backward. Like holy smokes, man! Let's just see if they can play. That that's from a coaching standpoint. As an evaluator, I just want to see kids play. There's two things I would say to that, and I agree with most of that. I, there are two skills that I want to know. I want to know if you can skate, and I want to know if you can shoot. Skating, you're right, I think, will generally sort itself out in a game. You'll be able to see that. But I also would like to just focus on them briefly because uh, sometimes, you know, in the, in the tryouts, sometimes things get missed, this and that. But in if I'm taking just, you know, 10, 15 minutes in the first session to just do times, it's like, what is your skating speed from here to here? Um, get times on all the kids, and then I know for sure who's, who's got wheels and who doesn't. And then I want to know if you can shoot or not. I had a girl um, a- on defense, and, I, and she made her way through the whole thing, and we, we never really took a good look at, at shooting. I would just line everybody up and just grade their sh- take three shots and then get out of the way, you know? You can shoot or you can't shoot, and that will help the decisions later on as well. But this one girl made her way all through the tryouts looking pretty good. She could pass well. She could skate well. But every time it came to, um, you know, she she in, a, in four sessions, we didn't notice. She was always passing off, always going to her D-to-D partner or, or trying to hit somebody down low. No shots, but <laughs> she snuck through. So skating and shooting, those are the two drills I want to see a li- at least a little bit of in the first session. That's all. Well, of course, you you are the coach, right? You're making the decisions. Um, I'm an inner squad guy, and then when I get down to fewer numbers, where I can't necessarily have an inner squad anymore, like we're not playing an inner squad of uh, three on three with six guys on each bench. Like that's just stupid. The game degenerates into a no hitter and becomes a pond hockey game real fast. So if you can't play five on five, then don't bother. Um, but eventually you're down to the numbers are so low that you can't do that anymore. 
that's the day to have a practice. Split them into two groups and have a theme for your practice. Today's practice is just going to be one-on-one scenarios. So now you're getting it up, put, put the D all in one color and the forwards all in another color. And you're getting an opportunity to watch guys play on both sides of the puck. Can they do this? Or, or as you say, it's a shooting day. We're, we're going to do nothing but a, but a bunch of flow drills, putting people in shooting scenarios. So a practice when I'm down to, to less than, uh, less than 25, you might want to throw a practice in there with simple drills and don't run it. You're, you're upstairs as the coach, right? Just the players on the ice, have your assistants run it or better still bring in somebody from the outside. Cause you probably want your assistants in the stands with you evaluating with you. So we're, we're, we're running a practice and looking for certain skills. How many guys do you have in your team, your evaluation team? Uh, I've, I've had as little as, as three and as many as seven, eight over the years. Uh, it, a lot of my, my final years back in town when I was there coaching at the AAA level, um, you couldn't always get a guy to commit to, you know, six straight nights or a lot of times it's 10, it's 12 straight nights because you put exhibition games in the off nights. So you might have a total of 12 or 13 guys offering up an opinion, but you really only have four or five out at each session. Um, it, it It's sort of a combination of how many people are available combined with whose opinions do I trust? Like, I really like this guy, but he can only be there once or twice. He's going to be there no matter what, right? So that gives me more numbers than other times, and then that's fine. But it's more of a, it's it's not necessarily finding a consensus. It's at the end of the session, have a meeting immediately with your guys, get individual thoughts on each individual player from all of your guys, whether you want to keep a score of some sorts, I recommend zero, one, two. One is an average player, zero sucks, and two is, yeah, this kid's really good. That's nice and simple. If you have five sessions, the maximum score for any one player is going to be 10. If you've got five evaluators, the maximum score for that kid is 50. It's real easy. At the end of the session, just work your way through the lineup, whatever you think. But as that's going on, I'm not really watching individuals. I don't even make all that much of a notes for that sense. I'm really just looking at the bubble guys, like almost from day one, you know, who's in and you know, who's out, don't you? Like you can certainly pick out the bottom five and the top five on the first night. So I'm starting to look at bubble guys almost immediately. And at the end of the session, do your evaluations, have your little meeting with your staff and make a list in out bubble after every single session in out bubble, grade them that way. And then that gives me a list of people I need to look at come the next session. Yeah. If I was running a team again, and I was into the bubble players. Um, I would I would get a, a two or three cameras going and isolate a little bit and spend you know so I can go home because there's so yeah. little to separate them right. And you get distracted. You're still watching some kids who are clearly on the team and some kids who are clearly off the team. And sometimes the bubble kids get lost in all of that. I'd almost want an opportunity to spend a lot of time watching them without any distractions and have some isolation cameras on some of those those types That's of good players. Point. Um, so, uh, you, you bring up a good point about distractions too, Steve, if I'm evaluating, um, sorry, we kind of turned this into the coaching side of evaluations as opposed to the player side. But anyway, that's okay. A, a, as an evaluator, where am I sitting? Who am I sitting with? Um, I, I, like, I don't want necessarily all these evaluators sitting around with me because then you, you inevitably start shooting the crap with each other and talking instead of watching, um, I'll, I'll be with two or three guys, usually the, the assistant coaches, but if I have independent guys, they're sprinkled around the building and just come back and report at the end. And then what are you watching? 
Like, do you, do you evaluate one player at a time and just work your way through the list? I would say, no, that is wrong because who knows when somebody's going to do something good or bad. Right. Um, I, I'm generally sitting in one corner high so I can see the whole ice surface. And I, I may just watch this end zone for the defensive play of one half of the players and the offensive play of the other half for one period and then go down to the other corner or, or whatever. But I, I, I'm watching the whole ice surface and everybody at all times, if that makes sense, as opposed to individually watching player one. Okay. Yep. Here's his grade. Move on to player two. Yeah. Okay. Here's his grade. Move on to player three. That's just, that's not going to work. You need to watch everybody. So when it comes to players making the team, sometimes you have associations who will have someone who has, you know, from an entirely different part of the organization, he comes in Mm -hmm. and he's just a total independent, right? Just making sure there's no shenanigans that uh, that the right decisions are being made, that somebody doesn't make the team who on the independent guys list is like, oh, that was the worst player in the entire tryout and you're happy you have him making the team just to sort of keep shenanigans like that out. Um, where are you at with that? Do you, do you want, as a, if you're the head coach, do you want the final say on each and every player? Are you okay with deferring if somebody says, no, you know, that that's not wrong, that's not right what you're doing? Uh, do you believe in coach's choice, even if nobody on your evaluation team liked a particular player? How are you with all those things? Well, uh, I'm I'm used to in a minor hockey scenario having a a liaison from the executive assigned to my to my team through the season that right. starts during evaluations, right? So so like one year you get the uh, the the secretary, one year you get the. Uh, the equipment manager, whatever. So you've got somebody with you. That person is in on every single meeting we have, every single evaluation post-session meeting we have. Um, I, I talk to kids after every single session, in a minor hockey setting, that is. Um, I'll certainly do it here at junior too, but what a is minor a group? As a group or individual? No, no, individuals. I have individual wow. meetings after every single session. Not everyone. Right. There are certain kids I'm going to talk to tonight, certain kids I'm going to talk to tomorrow night and other kids the next night. One kid I might talk to every single night just depends on who the kid is and and how he's progressing. Um, And that executive member assigned to my team is in every one of my interview sessions, interview, my chats, whatever you want to call them. So if I involve that person as much as possible and certainly respect and appreciate their opinions, um, maybe it's a bit of a sales job, but. I've never had a problem with somebody saying to me, oh, this kid should be here. Oh, that kid shouldn't be here. Right. I think if you do everything right, um, you, you, you're prepared properly, you cross all your T's and dot all your I's, that type of problem shouldn't come up because normally those problems come from somebody having an ulterior motive or a, an agenda to push. So assuming I don't and assuming they don't, they don't either, the executive person, then there really shouldn't be any problems. One thing that always had me torn when I was head coaching was the policy that our association had, I don't know if they still do or not, is that after, after one session, I still have to bring everybody back for the second session, even though it's crystal clear (laughs) that there's a good chunk of kids who just don't have the skating. It's just like nowhere near this level. And I can easily say, and I can easily defend that it's time for them to go. But because of the optics of it, you know, they want to give them a good opportunity. They want to give them a second opportunity. Maybe they'll show something in that second session. To me, it's just, with all due respect, it's wasting the time of the bubble kids who are going to just get less 
opportunity to shine um, so that we can see kids that clearly after five minutes of watching them in the ice, they're just not there. You don't necessarily get players of a such a discrepancy in a male high-level elite tryout process. But having said that, you're in control of who's on the ice at what time and what they're doing. Um, I make the lineups. I determine who's on team white and who's on team blue. Mm-hmm. I have a separate coaching staff for each of those teams through the trial process, right? Like two guys are in charge of team white and two guys are in charge of team blue. And there's a trainer on each bench and I give them the lineup. I decide who's playing left, right, center on line one, line two, line three, whatever. And you play this line against that line. I don't ever want to see you changing the lines. I don't want this line out against that line. So if you've got weaker players, fine, leave them on the, if you've got enough to have four lines on each side, then there, there are the, three of them are on the blue team playing on one line and three of them on the white team playing on the other line. And they only play against each other on the ice and you don't have to worry about them. So you, that, that would be my answer to that. And what is the rule in, uh, in boys? Hockey I don't have Brahma too. Two is the normal rule. Two sessions, right? Right. That's right. the norm. Yeah. And, yeah. I mean, you 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 paid for it. Uh, you're getting your money's worth. And and yes, you're absolutely right. And if there's anybody out there calling us a holes because we're saying sorry after round one, I can tell who shouldn't be here. Well, that doesn't make me biased. That doesn't mean I believe favorites. It just means I've been doing this for forty plus years and. Really, I could have been doing it for three years and would have known <laughs> looking at it that that kid doesn't belong here. I'm yeah. sorry, folks. I don't want to burst any bubbles, but it's pretty obvious on day one who the bottom five kids are. Yeah, and in reality, I think most of the evaluation team puts an X through that number anyway. Even though they're invited yeah. back for a second session, they will make a determination sometimes, in some cases, where they go, okay, I'm going to stop watching that player. That's just the reality of it. Exactly. Because, because the skating just isn't there or whatever the whatever the reason is, you can tell in some cases. Um, what did I want to ask? There was something Releases. else. Releases? Yes. I wanted to ask how you cut people, you know? because Always in a meeting. Always in a meeting face-to-face. Yeah. One-on-one? Always. Always. With always, parents? Yeah. With Well, it depends on the age of the player. Um, I, I would say Pee-wee's probably your first time where you got to think about it, whether uh, parents are or are not in the room below Pee-wee. It's probably it probably should be mandatory below Pee-wee that the parents are in the room. I would think that at a Pee-wee level, it's it's optional, and above Pee-wee, uh, there's no parent in the room. Um, unfortunately, you want your evaluators in the room with you. You you need to have too deep. You need to have a uh, an, the executive liaison or whatever that we spoke of needs to be in the room. So it can be a little intimidating when the poor kid comes in and there's four guys sitting across a table from him. Totally, but. But uh, I've I've done enough of them uh, over the years that I don't have any problem putting kids at ease. And as I mentioned earlier, having chats with every kid throughout the course of the process, there's been an initial, hi, how are you, chat with the kid right. so that maybe that eases a little bit of things when he comes in for his second or third or whatever it is that ends up being his final chat. But yeah, yeah. I'm not posting a list. I'm not sending emails. I'm not putting a list of numbers up on a wall. Um, You have paid a fee. You have given all you've got. You've worked hard to prepare yourself. You've come here. I I respect that. And I'm going to stand up and look you in the eye and shake your hand. And thank you for that. The only hazard I see with that is what is the proximity of the would-be teammates? Yep. Because I'd like to, if I do that, 
I want to make sure that they don't have to make that walk of shame Correct. past their friends that they've just been excluded from. Correct. So it's normally done in one room in one place that has two doors. And the players will generally line up outside the one door and come in and they'll go out the other door the other way. Um, every association generally sets it up some way or other with the geography that it works that way. Now, having said that, I can tell you that 95% of them will all walk back around to the front and they're all meet in the parking lot and talk to each other anyway. Right. But we do it that way uh, anyway. Um we used to get try to be sneaky with them, and you, you always had to give a kid a piece of paper um, if he's made the team, right? There's paperwork to hand these kids that's got to be filled out and brought back. So if they walk out and they don't have paper, that's obvious. But we would then – we used to do up sheets of paper with the contact information and what they needed to try out to go to – tryouts for the lower level i'd put that on a type that up and put that in an envelope so that everybody left with an envelope so that we were avoiding that problem but uh but yeah it's it geographically it's done within the confines of the arena the kids come in one door go out another door so they don't have to see each other i like that i also like the because there's there's pros and cons to both um i like the one that we had done and that was do it on the website. These are the numbers of the players who are invited to the next tryout. Everybody else, I encourage you to call me, uh, connect with me, um, and we can talk more about this if we need to. Because for every kid that wants that face-to-face and uh, get a sense of you know what they need to improve on and uh, the appreciation of, of having that, that human touch to it all, for every kid like that, there's also another kid who wants no part of this team anymore. They're super emotional. They don't want to talk to you. They want to be home with their family uh, away from everybody and just, you know, and and just get over it that way. So um, there's pros and cons. That's up to you, right? That's up to you to read that. You you can always tell when the tears are coming, right? You can see somebody welling up and you know, the tears are coming, but it's a release, Steve. Let's face it. I'm I'm, I'm not going to sit there and chit chat with you and sugarcoat stuff. The time for chit chats, those meetings were earlier. We, I talked to you after the second session and, oh, look, on my sheet here, you were in after the fourth session too. You know, unfortunately, we've made a decision and we're going another way and, and we're going to have to let you go here today. And, you know, here's the information for where you need to go. You did very well in this, this, and this. You should probably do a little bit more work in this, this, and this. And I wish you the best of luck and thanks for coming out. Shake a hand and out you go. All right, our time is running long, and uh, we did say we were going to talk about uh, tryouts and such, and uh, we did go very coachy there. Well, <laughs> you're a lot longer coach than I am, but you know, coaches are going to coach, I guess, when you get down to it. Um, but the one last thing I'd say would be on the on, on the kids' side for preparation. Uh, it's an old adage: it, it, do what you do well. You know, yeah. whatever it is. If if you're a hitter, go out and hit. If you're a skater, go out and skate. If you're a sniper, go out and snipe. And, and, and the last thing on top of that would be in terms of preparation, make sure you don't fill up, uh, you know, you have a seven o'clock evaluation. Don't be having a big five thirty meal. Your meal for that evaluation is your lunch and make sure you hydrate the hell out of yourself in the day leading up to it. Cause hydration has taken down many a good player. So those are my closing yeah. thoughts. Have you had any, you have any to add? Nope, I agree. Totally. That was uh, when it comes to players on the ice, it's, I agree. Totally do what you do to the best of your ability. And at the end of it, other people are going to evaluate it. That's that's all there is to it. You do what you can. You do what you do well. You do it as best as you can, and take the you know the cards fall where they may. Yeah, and the reality is, you just don't often see a scenario where, yeah, maybe a mistake was made, but maybe you 
can take solace from the fact that you're now at the level below. You're one of the top players. You're one of the go-to guys or ladies versus being one of the worst players on the team above. So, you know, you can take yep. some solace. You can take a, a silver lining out of the whole thing, and uh, but never take it personally because no one, I wouldn't say no one, there's some jerks out there. There's no doubt about that. The whole world is filled with jerks, and unfortunately you're going to encounter them and that's probably another life lesson in there as well. That's the great thing about hockey. There's so many life lessons, and that can be one of them. And sometimes, yeah, there's going to be the odd jerk who screws over some kid. But by and large, at least in my experience, everybody's in it for the right reasons. No one's trying to be mean to anybody. And the reality is that's that's the nature of tryouts. You're basically putting your child out there for other people to make a judgment on, and it's not always going to go your way. Exactly. Well said, Stephen. Oh, thank you. All right, it is time for our player profile brought to you by Dunrobin Distilleries. Just like craft beer years ago, the market for craft spirits is booming right now. And Dunrobin Distilleries is at the forefront in Ottawa. They currently offer artisanal gin and vodka, rye whiskey, 12 different flavors of bitters. And their recently launched Earl Grey gin, all made with the finest quality ingredients right here in Ottawa. DunrobinDistilleries.com, now available at the LCBO. Where will your spirit take you? So today we're going to talk about the great Tony Esposito who passed away this this week at the age of 78. And for guys our vintage, Greg certainly kind of affects you, right? You think about our childhood, Antonio was just such a, a major player, an elite goalie in the game. And uh, I've had a chance to talk about it already a bit on the SWP this week, but uh, let's begin with your thoughts on the passing of Tony O. Christmas 1972, Steve. I uh, I got the Tony Esposito mask for Christmas. Wow. It was, a, it was a well, not a real one. The road hockey. Still, the road hockey a Tony Esposito mask. Distinctive, right? You would recognize it anywhere. Um, and that was that was pretty cool. Tony O was one of the one of the big goalies of, of our, like in that time frame, right? Between yeah. the ages of, of eight and 15 or so, you know, Tony Esposito was the guy. Um, it was a sad day. Uh, I, uh, an executive after his playing career was over, he was, was uh, a GM in Pittsburgh. He was assistant GM in Tampa. The guy lived a, a great life in hockey and from a boy from the Sioux, he, uh, he did all right for himself. For sure. I mean, he was, and I'll put it in younger terms for our younger listeners. It's the, you know, the passing of Patrick Roy someday, the way people will feel about that. It's just like that. He was one yeah. of the top guys. He played in that 72 Summit Series. And um, I think about how excited I was when I was a little kid, you know, unwrapping one of those hockey card packs, the, the blue wax paper. And when I'm flicking through all of them and I found a Tony Esposito card, oh my God, it was like finding... You know, like golden ticket in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. He's like, oh, my God. Yeah, he's one of those guys. Yep. So a toast here. Tony Esposito. Thanks to DunRobinDistilleries.com. Thank you to you for joining us here today on the program. A reminder that our website is SendsNationHockey.com. We would love it if you could subscribe. If you're not already, subscribe to the program. Encourage your pals and your followers to subscribe to the program as well. That helps out a lot. Again, you check out SendsNationHockey.com if you have any questions about the show. we got some great articles on there as well about the Ottawa Senators. 
Uh, so check that out. In the meantime, we'll be back soon. Brendan Bell scheduled to be our guest in the next episode. Former Ottawa 67 and Senator. Greg, enjoy your week and uh, good luck with the hockey school this week. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. We'll talk soon.